Jesus is on the throne and will reign for a millennium until he returns to judge the living and the dead. And it's that reign at the right hand of God that we want to look at more closely this afternoon. Blessed reign of Christ and a summary of what the Bible teaches about that is found in the catechism. Question and answers 50 and 51, page 880 in the back of your songbooks, page 880. Looking at the power and progress of Christ's kingdom in the millennium. It's important to hear what's true of Christ in these times when it seems like the world's going to hell in a handbasket and we're just sunk. Christ is ruling in the midst of his enemies. And of all people, Christians should have most hope and confidence and gladness. Why the next words? He ascended into heaven and now these and sits at the right hand of God. Why do we confess that? Christ ascended to heaven there to show that he's head of his church, the one through whom the Father governs all things. How does this glory of Christ our head, sitting at God's right hand, benefit us? First, through his Holy Spirit, he pours out gifts from heaven upon us as members. And second, by his power, he defends us and preserves us from all enemies. And now let's look at Psalm 110, Psalm of David. One that Jesus quoted most often about himself. Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This is God's word and May he bless that word to our hearts and lives. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, Jesus sits at the right hand of God. We saw last time, what a blessing. Because there's the anchor for our souls, not down in the depths, but up in heaven, firmly lodged there, so that our ship will never get lost. 
The one end we have the confidence of Jesus, our anchor in heaven, and inside we have his spirit holding on to the anchor from this side, and he'll never let go. Jesus sits at God's right hand. Sit. Sit. That might put a kind of a false notion in our minds because sitting for us often means relaxing, taking it easy, resting from our work. Or it can mean boredom, sitting in a waiting room, twiddling your thumbs, thinking, when am I going to be called to come? To come in. That sometimes that's the way Jesus sitting may feel to us. There he is, back in heaven, relaxing, sitting at God's right hand, blissfully unaware of our problems and pains, and here we are left, we're stuck with the mess to deal with it on our own. We know it's not true. We may feel that way. It may feel sometimes Jesus is an absent landlord collecting the rent, but he lives far away and not really paying attention, not really involved. In our lives. That's false. He said I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus. Our savior. The son of God. Is a very busy man. In heaven. At God's right hand. Because he's sitting on a throne. Right? He's sitting on a throne. Ruling with universal authority. As he was ascending he said all authority in heaven and on earth. Has been given to me. And what's the work he's doing there? That's what we want to look at this afternoon. King Jesus has universal authority to first build his church and kingdom and second, destroy, subdue his enemies. Satan's power and the power of his kingdom. First, Jesus has universal authority to build his church. We read that in Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David is talking about a conversation between God the Father, the Lord in capital letters, and God the Son, Adonai, Messiah Jesus in small letters. David is saying, God the Father, Lord in capital letters, said to God the Son, my, my Lord, my Messiah Jesus, Jesus, come up, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And that's what happened on Ascension Day. The father called up the son and he sat at his right hand. And right hand in the Bible means a position of power and authority in someone's kingdom, in God's kingdom. So on that day, God placed his son in charge of the kingdom of God and gave him all authority in heaven and earth. And that marks the beginning of the millennium, the symbolic thousand-year reign of Christ in the Bible. The number thousand in the book of Revelation is symbolic, meaning the complete time of God's reign. The millennium starts on Ascension Day when Jesus ascended 40 days after Easter. And it will go until the day appointed by God the Father that Jesus should come back to judge the living and the dead. 
And that span of time in between is the millennium, the symbolic thousand year of Christ, and we're in it now. We don't know if we're in the early end, and 10,000 years from now he'll come back. Or if we're close to the other end, and in just a few years, or tonight he might come back. We're not told. But we know we're in that spot where Christ is reigning, and the Father is subduing all his enemies under his feet. And he's there as the head of the church. Think about that. The one who is ruling over heaven and earth and everything in them is ruling all things as the head of the church. You notice what it says there. A couple verses later. Or verse 2, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Where's his throne from which he's ruling the world? It's in Zion. It's in the church. In his peripheral vision, all the nations, all the planets, all the universe is in his eyesight. But his central focus is Zion. He's ruling from Zion. And what that means, brothers and sisters, all he does and all that happens is under his power as our savior, as our husband, our lover. And nothing that happens anywhere would ever, ever stand in the way of his plan for his church. His church always comes first in all that he does. Never separate the two. Well, on the one hand, Jesus is a church man who loves his people and huddles with us. Then on the other hand, he's got another job. He's looking over the nations. And one time he's got one hat on, another he's got another hat on. No, no, he's head of the church. And it's as head of the church that he's ruling over all the nations. The most powerful person in the universe right now is your great lover and savior. And as he rules the world, and as he rules over floods and famines and viruses and hurricanes and wars and governments and persecutions and climate and economies, his passion and his affection And his special focus is you and me, his bride, the church. His blood-bought people. It's so comforting. He rules the World Bank. And he rules all the nuclear arsenals. And he rules all that's going on with viruses and bacteria. He rules it all but he rules it as one who is focused on building his church. So whatever is happening, it's for his church. It's for us. Now that doesn't always make sense to us because we can't see the whole picture, but he does. And in the book of Zechariah, Jesus says to his people, he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. You can't touch my people and get away with it. 
Jesus says to the world. Jesus says to Satan. Jesus says to his enemies and ours. You can't touch my people and get away with it. They are the object of my passion, my love, my devotion. They're my people of my special favor and protection and preservation. And you see that repeatedly in the book of Revelation. Like when the woman, the church, flees into the wilderness. The dragon chases after her and spews out a flood of water to drown her. But the earth helps the woman by swallowing up the flood. God's protecting us. And then in the book of Revelation, before the seven trumpet judgments come out to bring judgments on God's enemies, the Lord says, stop, hold off, hold off with the judgments. First, he says to the angel, go and seal the 144,000, symbolic number for the countless multitude, Jews and Gentiles of his people across the nations and times. Seal them. They have a special protection measure from Jesus. Then go and judge the enemies or the object of his special love and protection. Or in the book of Revelation, again, chapter 20, why does Jesus put the devil on a chain, the dragon on a chain, so that he won't deceive the nations anymore? Which means so that the gospel can go through the nations and the nations can be saved. Jesus can build his church. Devil, you're going on a chain. Your movements are restricted because I am gonna build my church. Devil, you are my servant. Though you hate me and whatever you do, you do to destroy me and my people. You are my servant. The Lord stretches forth or sends forth from Zion Jesus' mighty scepter and says, rule in the midst of your enemies. I don't think we can get enough of this. The head of the church is the ruler of the world. The ruler of the world is the head of the church. And whatever might come against you, he'll grab it, swallow it, and rescue from it. Even if you die, the last enemy. He will turn your death from a punishment to a promotion. That's what he did at Calvary when he conquered sin and death and rose again. That's the way of our Savior. Whatever happens, Jesus says, don't worry, I've got that. I've got it covered. It's in my hand. I'll use it to build my church. I'll use it to, be, to build you. To extend my power and influence throughout the world. Think about that. Who put the Ayatollahs in Iran? those draconian, totalitarian dictators who hate freedom. Who put them on the throne there? Jesus, he rules that. Well, why on earth, Jesus, if you rule the world, would you do that? So that Muslims will realize the evil of Islam and turn to Jesus in large numbers, as is happening in Iran, right? Jesus always knows what he's doing. 
Even when we shake our heads and think, no, I can't see anything good come out of this. He's in charge. He's in charge. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So you have the picture of the gates of hell kicking, fighting, punching at the church. Going to get you, going to get you, going to devour you. And Jesus said, no matter how many kicks, how many punches, I'm building, 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 expanding my church. So that again in 2022, the church grew. Around the world, the church grew. There have been some years where that hasn't happened. But if you look over the course of the millennium, that's what's been happening. I will build my church. And then notice one more thing about Jesus' reign, his building of his church in this psalm. Look at verse 3. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. Jesus is alone the ruler, but he doesn't rule alone. His people, you and me, He died for us. He rose for us. He fills us with his spirit. And we become his powerful volunteers who serve him freely in the service of his kingdom. And then from heaven, what's he doing? The Bible says he's pouring out his gifts on you and equipping you and empowering you to serve you in the face of all kinds of opposition. So we might be courageous in serving the Lord and faithful in fighting his battles. The church is the people of God and the kingdom is the power of God living in his people. The church is the people of God. The kingdom is the power of God, power of Christ crucified and risen from the dead. The power of dying to sin and living to righteousness is the power of God living in his people so that wherever you show up, A 15-year-old at school, 25-year-old at work. Wherever you show up and you live and you walk by faith, the power of Christ, the reigning Christ, the kingdom of God living in you is exerting its influence on those around you. Think of your place. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. This is the day of Jesus' power. We're weak, we're little. We have no power in ourselves to build the church and extend his mighty kingdom. But he's got the power. He plants that in you by his spirit, fills you, equips you with gifts so that you are part of Jesus' church building program and his kingdom extension to the ends of the earth. You have that in Revelation also, Revelation 19. Who's Jesus? He's the rider on the white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, going out to conquering and to conquer. But behind him are his saints on white horses, dressed in white robes, following him as he leads the charge. We're also in the battle. We're his soldiers riding throughout this world in service of our king, advancing the cause of Christ, And by our witness, 
calling the world to turn to, to the living God and by our godly living, seeking to win our neighbors over to Christ. Sometimes I think we get that wrong. We, we forget verse three. Jesus is sitting on the throne, building his church, extending his kingdom. And we're sitting back in chairs watching the fireworks and say, wow, he's a great king. No, 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 no. We're his ambassadors. We're his soldiers. We're his agents. We're his instruments. We're his servants. Think of that. When you, a worker, refuse to lie to cover up for your boss, that's the power of the kingdom living in you, exerting itself on another person and in the workplace. Jesus is extending his mighty kingdom through you, even if you would get fired for that action. Or when you love your wife and you're not harsh toward her, that's the power of King Jesus, the kingdom, living in you, exerting itself on those around you and extending God's mighty kingdom through you. When you as a mom invest your life in raising your children at home, you might think, oh man, I, I'm not making much of my life. No, no, the kingdom of Jesus. The kingdom of God is exerting itself, living in you, exerting itself through you so that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He's building his kingdom through you. And when you, a young man, choose to let go of your dream job to pursue the ministry of the gospel, that's the kingdom of God living in you and Jesus building his church through you. Or a bricklayer committing himself to building the best walls he can possibly build to honor Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom of God living in you, exerting itself through you. So many ways. So many ways. Jesus gives us gifts to empower us and equip us to serve his eternal kingdom here on earth. But it takes faith to believe that your Jesus is powerful enough to use little old you, little young you, to do great things. Maybe not big things in the world eyes, but Jesus can take little things, breathe his spirit on that, and do big things with it. That's up to him. But this we know, that we can be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord Jesus, the king, who's got the whole world in his hands, in Jesus, our labor is not in vain. Never forget what you do for the Lord is not in vain. You've been given special power to serve him and to be used in the extending of his scepter. You see that picture there? He's sitting in Zion in the stretching of his scepter to the ends of the earth. And so again, verse three, 
your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments, I love this next sentence, from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. It's the dew of Jesus' youth. He's always young and strong, like dew in the morning, fresh, powerful. And when you serve him, you have access to his new powers or new power for you and new mercies every day. Sun is always rising for Jesus. The east, sun is always rising for Jesus. The sun never sets on his kingdom. It's always rising. Well, let's see, secondly, Jesus has universal authority to subdue his enemies. Just a few minutes on this. We should never get the idea, though, that if we have Jesus as our king, who has all power and authority, and if we have his power living in us to serve him as our king, then we'll just enjoy victory after victory, and we'll cut through the opposition to Jesus Christ like a knife cuts through soft butter. Easy peasy. That's not the Bible's message at all. If you're his servant, you've got enemies. Jesus has enemies. And it's a fight to the death every day until Jesus returns. The reign of Christ during the millennium to build this church will be a fight from beginning to end. And even as the kingdom of Christ advances, as it has over 2,000 years, the intensity of the opposition advances or increases as well. As the gospel makes headway, persecution makes headway too. The kingdom never advances without the suffering and bloodshed of the people of Jesus Christ. Remember the two witnesses in Revelation 14? They are successful. They go out to proclaim the gospel, but they get killed. The beast comes out and he kills them. And they rise and they go to heaven. So did they fail or were they successful? They were successful, but they were killed along the way. That's the way it is. It's the way it went with Christ. He purchased the kingdom by dying. We serve the kingdom by dying for him, living and dying for him. But the kingdom advances and Satan's power decreases. His kingdom is pushed back over the centuries and millennia. There won't ever come a day during the reign of Christ when it'll be easier for God's people. Some hold to this golden age section or era in the millennium will where the world will be almost all Christian and the opposition will be quite mellowed and then Jesus will come back and just do the finishing touches of establishing his kingdom in the new creation. I don't think we see that picture in the Bible. It is opposition the whole way through. Through many tribulations, it's necessary to enter the kingdom of God, 
said Paul to the churches. It's been given unto you not only to believe on the Lord Jesus, says Paul, but to suffer for his sake. But as we witness for Jesus and as we suffer for his sake, the Lord Jesus is not only extending his mighty kingdom, but he's pushing back the power and sway of Satan over the nations. And I know we don't like to be that optimistic, but we need to see that every time Jesus claims a soul from Satan's grip and changes that life from death to life, from Satan to God, when that person shows up at home and at work, now the kingdom of Christ is showing up in him, in her. And where the kingdom of Christ is displaying itself in that person, the kingdom of Satan, though he snarls and rages, is pushed back in your heart and life, but also in your home when you rule your home for Christ and in your workplace. As you guard your tongue at work, and you're careful not to participate in filthy joking and coarse language. Satan's kingdom is being pushed back. And as you respect your employer and your employee and your supervisor, and as you're fair to your clients and your customers, and as you show mercy and kindness to the broken and the needy, through you, Jesus is at work from heaven, pushing back and attacking Satan's influence in this world. As Christ's kingdom is advancing in the millennium, Satan's kingdom is decreasing. Again, look at Psalm 110, verse 1. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now that's a picture from Old Testament warfare that when you defeated an enemy, you brought the prisoners to the king who was sitting on his throne. They bowed their necks in front of the king and he would put his feet on their necks. They're my footstool. I have subdued them. I have destroyed them. I reign over them. That's what God is doing through Jesus. And that opposition will still be violent and terrible, and even intensified when Jesus returns, and he does that once for all on that day. But his enemies and ours are becoming Jesus' footstool, or being made Jesus' footstool by God. And 110 verse 2, the Lord sends forth your mighty scepter from Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. And you see that again in the book of Revelation as the seven trumpet judgments of the book of Revelation go on. And those seven trumpet judgments cover the entire millennium. The punishment, the subduing of Satan's kingdom increases more and more and more until the bulls of wrath, the day of judgment, are revealed 
And Jesus finishes the fight once for all on the day of his return and completely eradicates the opposition and brings his people into the new heavens and the new earth where there is no more opposition. It's just God and his people. And there are no snakes in the grass anymore. That is Satan's hanging around or opposition to Jesus Christ. What a day that will be. And so Psalm 110 ends, the Lord is at your right hand. That's Jesus is at your right hand, Father God. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. And then verse 7, he'll drink from the brook, by the way. Jesus will say, I need some refreshment. I need a drink. And then he'll lift up his head and keep going. That's what's going on. That's the millennium. Well, congregation, there is no greater danger than to be on the side of the enemy because Jesus will crush you if you do not bow to him, give your life to him in trust and say, save me, Jesus, and make me your servant. And there's no greater victory than to be on the side of Jesus. No matter how much it looks like you're losing, the winner is on the throne right now. Not just the winner, your winner, the one who fights for you and defends you against all your enemies. You cannot lose. You cannot lose when you trust in Jesus and you follow in his train as his servant. Amen. Father in heaven, all power and glory belong to you. You have placed your son on the throne of the universe. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you for your power and victory, which you are accomplishing in your people throughout the world. Your victory over Satan and all your enemies, we pray that that victory will continue across the world through the gospel and you will continue to take hold of many lives and bring them into your kingdom. Lord, the fight is difficult, the persecution is intense, but strengthen your people to serve you for your cause cannot fail. We pray this with thanksgiving in Jesus' name.